the group found 50 species of reptiles and 50 species of amphibians. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. A um, few things to get out of the way before we get started. As always, portcitypythons.com. We have some animals available. We do have now, dare I say it. <laughs> oh no, we have ball pythons now. Um, so if you guys don't know, I kind of absorbed my dad's ball pythons that he produced and stuff like that because he doesn't want to sell them or use the internet. So <laughs> if you guys like ball pythons, whether adult, we have adult females even and males and a bunch of cool babies that he produced, then hit us up. Or, of course, we always have corn snakes available. Yes. Limited time, ball python. Limited, hopefully limited time. <laughs> this will right? not be a continued thing in our future. As much as I like, like I love those Ultramel ball pythons, um, I just don't want to worry about feeding them every week. And uh, to me, just a lot more upkeep than a corn snake. But for all you guys who are into that stuff, I'm sure you'd enjoy it. And there are, of course, um, T-shirts available also online on PortCityPythons.com. And we have the Amazon codes down below. The chat is saying Boo Ball Pythons. Um, and if you click the Amazon links below, all you do is shop normally as you would on Amazon. And the podcast gets a little kickback from that. What else is there? Uh, I, think I feel like it. we're missing something. No. But I don't think we are. So, guys, today's guest is Jason Nelson from MV Reptiles. So, Jason, if you could just give us a short intro on who you are, where you're from, and what you work with. Um, yeah, like you said, Jason, my name is Jason Nelson. Uh, I've been born and raised in Utah. So, um, I work with... Uh, Mostly gophers and bull snakes and pines, Pitchophis family, and and I'll dabble in some corns and uh, some kings and milks. So, what got you interested in Pitchophis? I mean, that's not something that everyone is interested in, to be honest. Yeah, um, a friend of mine had some <clears throat> Sonoran gopher, albino Sonoran gophers for sale, and. I it was in the early, late nineties, I guess it was. And uh I mean I've caught gopher snakes when I was a kid and stuff like that and I always liked them. But then I got into breeding snakes and and uh raising, you know, all that and I just love how strong the Pitchophis family are. They're just strong uh, animals and they just they always eat they're just simple easy animals to take care of and they're yeah. beautiful so yeah and I know back in the day as far as when you still had like Applegate animals and Trumbauer animals and all that stuff it seems like that has kind of died down at least the old school Calubric guys got out of it and it seems like you are now like the premier guy working with some of those gopher projects. 
Um, yeah, there's, yeah, there's still a lot of great old timers out there that I look up to and yeah, kind of learn from them. So what are your favorite, um, gopher and bull snake projects that you have going on this year? Um, this year I always have a chance to produce. I kind of line it up for the last as long, 10 years at least. I always have something that a chance to produce a first time morph. I'm always looking to produce the next, the next thing. And Great Basin Gopher Snakes right now is there's a lot to be done. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I, that's, yeah, I mean, I love them all, but. Now, I'm not that familiar with. Um, how the genus works and stuff like that. Is the the Great Basins, are there a separate subspecies than the San Diego's, or is that just locality? It's separate species. There's, yeah, there's San Diego's, the Nectins, the Sonoran Gophers, Great Basin Gophers, um, and then there's a bunch of smaller ones, uh, some islands, Island gopher snakes and uh, some Baja gophers, Vertebralis and Bimaris, and a few. And there's Mexican species too, but the the big ones in the states are San Diego's, Pacific's, Sonorans, and Great Basins. As far as gopher snakes. Now, are you very particular as far as keeping all of those separate? Yeah, I am anti-hybrid. I don't. No, I don't want to go down that road. So, so, but there are morphs kind of in all the different species and subspecies to play with. Yeah, every every subspecies has their own morphs, and have a lot more than others. Like San Diego's, they have four lines of albinos. Just and now, they, out of those four lines, they don't interact with each other. A couple of them do couple of them will work together which is uh even uh there's a the betchtail albino and the dire albino and they kind of go hand in hand they kind of you'll get a little something it's not it's pretty common to get bulk uh albinos in out of a pair uh one's a t negative one's a t positive so they're easy to distinguish from each other that way. Mm -hmm. And now what happens when you put all those together, all the different albinos? It kind of creates a mess, but <laughs> it can create a mess. It has, but um, what I've found in, and a lot of people don't understand it, but it's definitely when you mix uh, two of those albinos, they'll look the same as hatchling. They'll look like a normal T-negative albino, but if it's got the T-positive in it, after about a year, the blotching will start turning green. And that doesn't happen in either either the uh, when they're by themselves. It's when they're mixed, you'll get that green color come through. And now, is that something you're trying to avoid? Um... Not necessarily, but 
it kind of creates a little bit of a problem distinguishing, especially because you can't tell as babies. It's when they get bigger, um, and it's kind of it's kind of been that's kind of been going before I even got into it a little bit, but just from the work I've done, that's what I've noticed is, yeah, you get the green comes out later. So it was kind of an accident, but it happened. Mm -hmm. Now, what other things are you working with as far as um, San Diego's goes? So obviously those are all the albinos that are in those. And then uh, what other kind of projects and morphs are involved? So the probably the the hot new color morph in San Diego is I kind of named it after my myself uh, my Envy reptiles. Uh, I named it after uh, Envy Snow, and so it's a T positive albino with an anery. So you get the white and purple, but with normal eyes. So that's kind of cool. And now I was looking, I don't know if it was you who made that um, kind of collage of all the different gopher lines and stuff like that. But I saw there was a zombie something or what? another, and I thought that that was just crazy. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I didn't name that, but um, but that is what the, that's what I'm talking about. That comes from the Envy Snows. It's uh, There's a couple variations of colors in that in the snows and some of those might be like a double albino going on to that which causes some of those weird color phases now are you interested in outcrossing that and kind of finding out exactly what the ingredients are or you're like that just looks cool let's stick Leave with that, that and you know we'll get a different mix when i breed everything together well i've kind of refined it this year and it was the first time it's came out they have what they call a super hypo from Europe. It was lime bred that way. From my understanding is, and from my experience, experience, um, the the dire albino, the clumper albino, and the super hypo. Either they're all the same thing or they're compatible. And so the super hypo has the super dark purple blotches where the dyers have a lighter lavender color. And so what I try to do is get that dark color back in, back in it. So get more contrast and colors, better colors that way. So in this year I had a couple pop out and they, the purple is so purple. It's almost black on a white snake or sometimes they're yellow. That was the idea, get a high contrast with lots of colors. Wow. So it seems like you have a lot of the issues that we have in corn snakes as well. There's things I've been line bred for so long that have a certain look to them. Even though it's an AML, it's a candy cane, it's a right. high red, this or that. And then we also have like these little kind of enhancer genes. I don't know if you're familiar with like the red coats and the red factors and stuff like that. Like, do you think there could be any little dominant traits that kind of slip in there, kind of like corn snakes that are tweaking those, or is it just lime bread polygenic stuff? It seems to be more lime bread stuff, but yeah. 
there's still there's still and there there will still be new projects to come in the San Diego's too, which is that's always fun to look forward to. And now, for people who don't know, I guess much about the genus and how to care for the snakes, about what's the difference between the different gophers in size and look between San Diego's and say Great Basins. Yeah, they they all vary a little bit. Um, Sonoran gophers are very, they look very similar to bull snakes, and they're the biggest gopher snake in the in the states. Um, six footer, yeah, I've heard of six footers. I've had a couple, more like five foot's pretty average. They're pretty bulky, and then you'll move to a San. Uh, if you move to a San Diego, most of my breeders are around four foot and they're pretty heavy bodied. Um, but then you get a great basin and they're, they're about four foot two, but they're a slender snake. They are more built like a corn snake in size is what I kind of compare them to. And the Pacifics are similar to San Diego's in size and now for adults are most people keeping them in like three foot cages or are you keeping them in like cb70s or 28 quart tubs i think you know i keep a lot of my gopher snakes in 28s but i keep my i tend to keep my san diego's and great basins pacifics in 28s um unless I have some bigger ones. But, and then my Sonorans I'll keep in 70s, my bull snakes in 70s, my pines in 70s. So, yeah. So I saw that you had a few kind of getting into more stuff that, like we have uh, Louisiana pines, but I saw that you had a clutch of black pines. So yeah, I'd yeah. like to get a little bit into that. And then also, I mean, in Utah, who do you have to sell to at that point since you can't um, ship them, you know, across state lines? Um, you can ship them across state lines. You have to apply for a permit, which is about, uh, it's a hundred dollars, but I think it's, it's, once you have that permit, you, I think you can get as many animals as you need or want with that. And it's a slow process. I had a guy do it last year, and it took him a few months to get that permit. Um, but as far as, yeah, Utah is, I have very few customers in Utah because pits aren't big here. It's not a big hot commodity here. I have like, there's probably five or six people in Doom. Um, so it is a tough sell in utah without a permit even so yeah i kind of just wanted to gauge that from you as someone who finally my louisiana pines got to size and i'm afraid that if i breed them i'm not, not going to be able, able to, to sell, sell them, them. <laughs> and and another main person who breeds pines is in the same state so it's like damn now we just have way too much supply between the two of us so i was just wondering about the permit process and stuff like that yeah, it, it, I haven't actually had to get the permit because I had them before that was they before they went on the endangered list. So 
I haven't had to actually apply for a permit, but yeah, I, it's, I just think it's a slow process on their end, not so much of anything else. I just think it just takes them a while. And I don't know if it's cause they're not, un if they're unfamiliar with the process or I don't, I don't know exactly why that is, but. Who knows if they even want us going through the process that readily. They probably, yeah, they don't want to make it easy. <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably why they make it hard. Now, have you drawn back production of things like Black Pines because of that reason? Exactly. Yeah, I have. Last year, I produced like 30 of them. This year, I got like six, and I was happy with that. So, so are you just going to keep you know, adults just going to keep them for now and just breed, you know, maybe once every three years or something and kind of rotate one clutch or something like that. Yeah. That's kind of the game plan. It's, it's just not a high priority. And we'll just, they're, they're awesome snakes. And I definitely want to keep them in my collection because they're such cool animals, but I am going to slow down on producing those because it's, it's a hard thing. Yeah. Do you think the permit process is something that will ever change or you think it's kind of forever? I, I don't see it changing. So, um, I don't, yeah, I don't know if it will change anytime soon. See, I always thought it would benefit conservation more so to maybe ban the native states but allow interstate trade of cap of proving captive born and bred. So say they're like, okay, Jason is a certified breeder of black pine snakes. So allow him to, to sell them. and trade across the state. Cause you know, he's not getting them from, from the wild. From, right. Right. Cause that's ultimately what they want to stop. Right, is conserve the ones that are in the wild. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great idea. I need like degrees or being <laughs> fish and wildlife or something, <laughs> but who's going to listen to us? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's yeah. I like the idea. I, it makes sense. And it's not like you can go down there and just collect. I mean, if you were to see one in the wild, you'd be, it'd be a pretty big deal because they're not easy to find from what I hear. I've never tried, but. Yeah, for snakes uh, living in a hole most of the time, you'd think you're not going to pick up like 20 of them at a time. Yeah, those, yeah, black pines, Louisiana pines, you're probably going to get shot down a lot. <laughs> I'm sure it's pretty hard to find one. Mm -hmm. Now I guess we can move on to bull snakes, so I guess the larger of the snakes <laughs> but i mean bigger i saw that you you have a few things like uh white sided and obviously albinos and stuff going on so um what are some of your clutches that you've produced this year um i produced a lot this year um i pr i get i i don't even make a price list until they hatch because i use multi-heads uh, you know morphs and this and that and i can't really predict exactly what i'm going to produce i know i'll get a bunch of white sides and i'll get a bunch of albinos but then i get a you know a mix of 
every, I'll pretty get much get most morphs every year, but it's like some of them, it's just one or two. So, and there's so many, there's, you got two bloodlines of hypos, you got two bloodlines of albinos, you got two bloodlines of exanthics, and they're not compatible, all these, and, but as far as genetics, um, there's five, the five main color morphs and, uh, and pattern morphs. So, I mean, there's five heads out there. I mean, I have snakes that are het or visual and then het for this. So there's, you know, you want a pair of five heads can produce 32, uh, 32 color morph possibilities. But the problem is a lot of them will look the same without knowing the background on them, then it's pretty, it gets, it gets to be a little bit of a mess that way. And what are those five bases? So you got white-sided, you got albinos, exanthics, I said white-sides, hypos, and patternless. And so then you could, I mean, you can make it more confusing by adding double exanthics, and I guess, but... And then you have things like your Stillwater Reds or your, I, I, I need you to pronounce the Kankakee. Yeah, I was I'm just, doing it wrong. I was reading that earlier. I'm like, I have no idea how to say that word. Well, I thought you did great because that's how I said it. <laughs> Perfect. So, and then do you, are you just like you said with the Gophers, you're trying to keep that separate. Would you keep something like a Stillwater or a Kankakee, I don't want to say that too much to mess it up, <laughs> but are you, would you keep those separate and do you work with those or do you just work with the morphs? I like, you know, I, I, I like locality stuff too and nothing's cooler than a locality color morph in my mind. Um, but yeah, I want, to, I want to make new stuff. So I'm always going to keep combining color morphs and there's still some, there's, still some that haven't been done or rarely done so are localities in bull snakes as um what's the word i'm trying to think of oh, valuable isn't the word but you know like in gray bands like local is i can't talk locality is such a big thing like you know that one mile difference or that one location is so big is it that important in bull snakes or just kind of like oh this one is from here and it looks cool it is important. Um, it's not as, obviously, it's not as crazy as the gray bands because they vary so much from one range to the next. But I know in Indiana, they like, they have the, a lot of black in them. That's where the Kankakees are. Um, I think it's Illinois. Um, and then they have the black ones and the various few localities over there. And they just, they, it's kind of key to keep them pretty pinpointed with those. Um, you know, obviously there's Kingville's reds that are popular, still hypos popular. So, yeah, I think what's crazy is just how big the range of the bull snake is. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you can have an animal obviously from, from the Midwest or something like that, or an animal from basically West Texas. Um, I remember looking at that, um, I think it was Bill Love's book, 
and them just getting like eight foot giant giant bull snakes out in texas now i didn't get the luxury of finding any of those <laughs> while we lived in texas but didn't i mean find nearly anything in texas that's true mostly copperheads but um are you looking for anything like that as far as um i know back in the day i guess maybe those were northern pines but like things like jersey giants and um is there anything else that's kind of under the radar that you're interested in um not not like that way um not as far as localities and stuff there was there was the 277s that were i think started the by shannon brown i think the female was over nine foot and the male was close to nine foot and they were the they called them monster bulls and i don't know if that ever i don't know if anything ever came of that to where they were proven genetically to be monsters um i had some at at, a, at one point but i never got them to adulthood so yeah it would be neat to it would be kind of cool to know if they you could breed giants so. And that's uh, 277, like just like the Alternas? Yep, West Texas. So yeah. basically someone was looking for gray bands and they're like, oh, here's a giant bull snake, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, here's this bull snake cross taking up the whole road. Yeah. <laughs> I guess really, I guess they were pretty uh, pissy animals too. They were pretty aggressive. They just sit there and strike and hiss. And they're, from what I understood, they the female you couldn't have a you had to keep her in a dark cage because she would just sit there and smack her face into the cage trying to bite you so <laughs> so needless to say i guess that was some type of vitality issue to where they weren't produced readily and no one really kept up that line yeah i don't yeah i don't i think uh there's a few people that um still have them but i don't know i've never seen like a lot on them lately just it's it's kind of like they kind of disappeared but i know there's i did hear recently someone had uh some of that bloodline still so yeah i think it's interesting especially in things like pits and i learned that through dealing with the louisiana pines and stuff like that um there's like a few people on the internet, like you and Jay Jacoby are just a few pit people that I know of on the internet. But there's also like a lot of people who are very, very underground, old school, don't do anything on Facebook or anything on the internet. So I was wondering, how do you even like, how do you network with those people? Is it just the amount of time you somehow a friend <laughs> of a friend type of thing? Yeah, I, yeah, pretty much. I, yeah, it's face, Facebook's crazy how just, it's just blown up and it's just, there's, yeah, there's people, more people are getting on there, old timers even, that, but there is still those people that don't want anything to do with it. And they're kind of, I get it, you don't, you don't want to be on that social media, but you're going to be missing out on a lot of cool stuff that's going on because, Look how far this hobby's gone. And if you're not on Facebook right now, geez, you're missing out on a lot of cool stuff. 
and we're selfish and we want to talk to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, it's mostly because like, like we want to like see we're what missing people are out. working with. Like, I love hearing people who've been working with these snakes for, you know, like 30 plus years and just all the different ways, like how they handle their business or everything has changed. Like that's some of the most interesting stuff for me to hear. But we can't even find these people because they're not anywhere on the Internet. Yeah, I know Trump, Craig Trumpower just he's been on there recently and he actually gave me a phone call because he was interested in something he's seen on Facebook and it was really neat to talk to a guy that's been in the, in the hobby that long and seen everything come and go and yeah, it was pretty cool. And a great mustache, which is the most important part. <laughs> yeah. And I, we need to, we need to try to get him on the show, but I need to read his books before I do it so that we can be informed on everything. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's someone who has like snake, just his stories of him herping oh, throughout his lifetime. I haven't read his books. That's all the kind of stuff you love. I know. I just haven't gotten around to it. Is it one it. of those books that like are old and cost a lot of money? It's like a, no, like, no. It's oh. eco-publishing, just like Bill Love's book or okay. all, pretty much all the books that we have. So yeah, they're readily available. But I mean, I would, that's someone who I would love to have on the show and love to get to use. It's hard when you do a, like video show and stuff yeah, like that. Not everyone's down that. to do something like this. Yeah. So you can't say so and then take <laughs> then a sip of your beer. beer. <laughs> that Sorry. doesn't work. So do you do field herping yourself? Yeah. I do. I don't do a lot in the States anymore. I love field herping. I love to go photograph and I go with a couple friends and a group of friends. And yeah, in two weeks I'm going to Baja Cabo, Southern Baja, do some herping. So that's what I love. That's one of my favorite places too, but I love, I'm, I'm all about Mexico herping. Um, and I love America too. It's just you go to Arizona and it's just or Southern California, and you almost got to get in line to drive up the canyon because there's so many people doing it now, and it's that that turns me off a little bit. But but it's still it's still fun. You can still get out there. And I wouldn't want to be out with a bunch of people just because there's probably a lot of stupid people who don't know what they're doing, and that would be the hardest part. Is just like having to bite your tongue while you're seeing all these other people out there probably handling stuff wrong or anything. Yeah. I've seen some, I've seen it. I've seen some <laughs> in Southern Arizona. I've seen some young guys handling some rattlesnakes and stuff. And it was like, yeah. Did you, you know, say something? I, I didn't. I, you know, I just, I just, I, I didn't say anything like, to that i don't want to be a jerk or anything but um i may give them some advice or something like that but now what's your favorite place so is mexico your favorite place to herp or do you have a very not specific location but a particular area that you like more than others um well like i said i I've been to Baja once and it's just, I just love it there. It's, uh, it's just, you know, um, some unique reptiles there and, 
Um, plus the food's great. <laughs> but, now, is that a very like Americanized uh, part of Mexico? Baja's a little bit, it's not as sketchy as mainland Mexico for sure. I've, every time I've been gone there, I felt totally safe. And um, yeah. I, and there's still like a lot of terrain to find snakes. Oh yeah, and there's and you know you're the only ones out there looking. So that's that's what I like about it. I don't, I don't have to compete. To go are, are there like special considerations when going there? As far as do you need any type of permitting or anything to handle the reptiles? Not that I'm aware of. Um, we strictly we strictly photograph. And, we don't collect anything. We just love to see the reptiles or any wildlife in that matter of that fact. But yeah, we've seen a family of uh, ring-tailed cats and they got, we caught them in a canyon and they they couldn't get really around us. So they, they, they were cornered up against the, the cliff wall and it was kind of fun to watch them for about five minutes. Yeah, that's amazing. So what is your ideal animal to find in that area? I want to, I mean, I've found a vertebralis, which is the Cape gopher. Um, I'd like to find a bimeris, which is the the northern gopher snake in the Baja. But it, nobody in our group has ever found uh, an adult live vertebralis. So... Yeah, that's that would be probably my highlight of my trip. And do those interbreed in that area? I don't think their range overlaps. So, is there mountains or anything separating them? I I know that one's northern and one's southern. So, okay. But yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Now, I mean, something I would be interested in is the Baja rat snakes. So have yep. you seen anything down there? Yeah, we found one one night uh we found two adults pretty quickly and the and we found yeah, that was Is that up. like a readily We're, uh available snake down there? You'll find them, but you're going to have to put in a little bit of time. I think we found four or so last time in a week. Um but yeah, a big old adult is fun to find the uh, the Mexican rosies, the triv trivs. Those are always fun. The chocolate and cream rosy boas, the stripes. So those are always fun. Um, yeah, and, I, and I'm really into amphibians and lizards and stuff too. So it's just not snakes. Now, when you find something out there, are you like, if you don't already have it, is it one of those things where you find it and then you're like, oh, I definitely want to keep that <laughs> now? Or is it one of the, for me, sometimes it's like, oh, maybe I don't want to keep those now because I see how awesome it is in the wild and like, maybe it should chill there. But some, <laughs> I'm like, I want to bring it home too. Yeah. I mean, when you're holding a baby, little red tail boa or something, I mean, that's cool. I mean... They're common. You could buy them. It's just, it would be way easier to just buy one and probably cleaner and prettier. But I don't know. There's something about a boa. Even the rosy boas are cool. 
to handle. And there's a lot of venomous stuff. I don't typically, I very rarely will handle anything venomous, but if we have to wrangle something for a pitcher, we'll, we'll do it. But we, we're pretty respectful. Now, when you're in Baja and stuff like that, are you typically um, going night cruising? And what time of year do you try to go? Um, yeah, night cruising is you'll do you'll find more at night. It's hot there. It's pretty dang hot. So in the daytime, it can be tough. But there's always lizards and stuff to find in the day. And now. Is that is that one of those places kind of like um, a lot of Mexico or West Texas where like your number one thing you're gonna find is rattlesnake species? Yeah, you'll find your yeah you'll find your shit. You'll find quite a bit. Mm-hmm. We did go um, a couple of years ago. We did we got. We had to get a permit to do this, but we went and camped out on Catalina Island where they had the rattleless rattlesnakes. And so we went out there to target those. And yeah, they're pretty easy to find and they're all over. But you dang, be careful. There's, they're not your normal rattlesnakes. They'll climb up in bushes and they're fast and they don't hesitate to bite. And they're nippy. On that, on a little island like that, do they have any known predators, or do they, like, I can imagine that they don't have much fear of, uh, or they have a lot of fear of you, but maybe not much fear, obviously, of biting. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's kind of why they developed the way they did, because they don't have a lot of natural predators. They don't have to, maybe that's why they lost their rattles, because they don't need to warn, do warning you know, because there's not a lot of predators. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's just a guess. Now, on trips like this, do you, like, go in groups and someone arranges it for you, or do you arrange things like permits to go to these places? My friend is really good at it, and so he, he'll put it together, and and he knows, he knows what, exactly what he's doing, and so I just kind of... He puts it together and we go have a good time. Now, it seems like everyone's destinations are like Costa Rica or Indo mm-hmm. to the Komodo or to Komodo Island or something like that. So have you gone out to those places? Have you gone to Central America? Have you gone to Indonesia or anywhere out there? I In January, I went to Peru and went to the Amazon. And yeah, that was, that was pretty my biggest that was a bucket list trip um going in the amazon and yeah it was it was pretty cool it was it's a as many animals i think we found 50 species the group found 50 species of reptiles and 50 species of amphibians um but it's it's pretty dang hard even in the jungle i mean with that abundant types of species and stuff it was still you had to work your butt off to i i think i only found one snake on my own so now i'm super depressing i would get i mean i i don't know how you want to keep going probably like one million mosquitoes to every (laughs) snake you find 
it was a little frustrating. It can be frustrating. I started targeting tree frogs because I love tree frogs. And so I just started doing that and I was really successful at that. And that was fun for me. So now were you sorry i'm really nosy on all snake stuff going on so were you with a group that went to like the i believe it's called the madre de dios river or whatever it is um Mm -hmm. that part of the peruvian amazon yeah yeah. so did you find any anacondas i wasn't with them so we had two parties split up and the other party that they went out on the river they had the most amazing story about an anaconda. It was cool. The stories, they were just cruising and this, they had an anaconda swimming on the service and it, uh, it was heading for the, what they call the cabbage, that floating vegetation. And it got in there and they're like, well, I guess we're screwed. We're not going to find it. And they, one guy pulled back some stuff and they found it and they caught it. It was amazing. So I was going to say, do you bring that into the boat or do you just let it be? <laughs> I think, you know, we, they brought it back and we GPS locations so we can put stuff right back. We brought, but you know, you bring it back, photograph it so everybody can see it and they experience it. So now yeah. is that part of a like research facility? Um, they may do research there. I mean, this was strictly for hobbyists. I mean, and a lot of these guys, I'm not that hardcore into it. I just love to get out and be out there, but I'm not going to take field notes. I'm not that guy. Mm-hmm. Now, what what was your favorite thing seeing there, whether it be a snake or amphibian? So my favorite thing was, the ad, if I say this right, that Adeleptus toad. I may have said that wrong. <laughs> Never heard of it, so it's right to me. So they're they're little toads, but they they're only like an inch inch and a half, and they look very much like a dart frog. They're really colorful, and uh, there's one little spot where you can find them. And um, I went out on my own that day, and it's a couple mile hike to get there, and. Um, I found one and it was raining and I just videotaped it and it was green and black on the top, but under its legs, it's red. And it would start doing some behaviors where it'd start kicking its legs, showing me it's red, flashing its red colors at me. And it was basically telling me, stay, it was saying, stay away, I'm poisonous. Even though they're not poisonous, but they mimic a dart frog, I think. But yeah, it was pretty cool to watch the behavior of that. I got some pretty cool footage on that. And the first time I was doing it, he looked like he was waving at me. He'd go like this and then show me the red palm. I'm like, what the heck? And then then when I, when it turned the other direction, it would do the back legs at me. So that's when I started, oh, it's, it's trying to warn me. So it was pretty neat. Yeah, that's interesting. Is there anything like that you bring back with you from there? Like, why do you always besides the obvious you want to see animals but why do you challenge yourself kind of to go to these far out places i guess i'm a little i guess i'm a little bit bored of north america even though there's a lot i haven't done and there's a lot i still want to do but it's just just 
the most extreme or exotic, I guess. And I mean, is that a totally different experience than herping Mexico or, you know, road cruising through Arizona or something like that? Yeah, and Arizona is cool too, but yeah, it's it's different for sure. So I guess this is a question I was going to ask you, but someone asked as well. Um, did you see any corallus or any tree boas as well as things like uh, Peruvian rainbow boas and things like that? Yep, we seen we seen I think five or six rainbow boas. One was way up in the canopy. I don't know how they seen it up there. Um, and we did UI shine for trebos. Um, only a year before they found a green treboa, which was the first one they found there. That's where very few have been found there, only a couple. But the little uh, the little treboas were pretty common, and you just eye shine them. You just look for eye shines up in trees. Yeah, so, I think I don't think people know that that's one of the only species, at least that I know of, or genus Corallus, at least or the Corallus hortolanus that has an eye shine if you shine them in the trees with flashlights. Really? That's how I read it in a book. That's why when we lost the tree boa, that's why I turned out the lights and started putting the flashlight everywhere. Didn't find them that way, but I figured I would try. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't know I think that. Seven in the night. So they're just, not really hidden. They're just kind of easy. Well, they just sit out there on the branches, and I think they're look, waiting for a bat to fly by. Or So they're on the fringe, on the outsides of trees, not deep inside the trees, so they can catch bats and birds and whatever flies by. Um, yeah, we just floated the river, just went down the river and shined trees. So Yeah, fun. I feel like that is... Um... I barely want to go anywhere near my one that I have in captivity. So I can imagine that's a fun thing to photograph in the wild. Yeah, they, yeah they'll put a bite on you. <laughs> I mean, at least you know that it will hang out for a second. So you can probably take a good picture and then kind of watch your face. Yeah, yep, you got to be careful. And do they come in different, when you see them in the wild, do they come in different color phases or are most of them kind of that drab brown coloration? Oh, they came in like, there was like seven, I think we had like seven different color phases, variances. So yeah, they were quite colorful, different. And the little ones are always more colorful, it seems like, but yeah. Is there anything that like you didn't expect to see that you saw or something that you didn't expect to like in the wild comparison to something that you may have known existed before? Like something that you has a special place now that you found it in the wild. Hmm. There's definitely stuff I wanted to see that I didn't see, um, but we did. We did. I I guess there was stuff that I wasn't expecting to, and then then you. But there's so much down there, you just kind of forget about some of the stuff, um, and. Someone found a Bushmaster, which was great. That was one of the high, that was pretty high on the list to find, see um, rainbow boas. And we didn't see any red tails, but 
Yeah. We've seen most of the stuff we wanted to. Now, are you guys, um, was everyone just going there to photograph? And um, I don't know if you, I saw Dave Kaufman's video on the Peruvian Amazon. Were you actually with him on that trip? Because I know he saw Rainbow Boas and the Bushmaster and everything. He went the year before I did. So, but it was the same place where he went. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah we should go. Oh, yeah. Cool. It's well, maybe fun. not you. <laughs> yeah, no, I know mm -mm, none of this sounds fun for me. I would probably hate every second of it. Yeah, that's probably true. Unless but... you get me like a, like a bee suit. A beekeeper's outfit to keep then... every single bug out ever. yes you know was i was worried about the bugs the most and i mean i did get eight now here and there but for the most part it was mostly just like in the daytime like not being prepared walking through the grass at the campgrounds and or at the at the village or whatever you want to call it but uh but we would, I would bundle up pretty good, even though it's hot and muggy. I'd still, I'd just wear a long sleeve, dry fit shirt and keep something on your neck. And <laughs> but yeah, there's the insect life is crazy, and the spiders, the spiders would probably freak you out more than anything. Yep, I'm out. <laughs> I get ten bug bites going outside in our backyard in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. <laughs> So, like, there's no way I'm going to these huge forests. Right? I mean, I'll just be covered. Just... Yeah. The, it's crazy. The, the amount of... I've, it seemed like there was, like, just in that little area we were at, we seen, like, six different species of walking sticks. And it's just, like, that's a lot. I mean... I didn't even know that. Like, I, can deal, <laughs> I can deal with that. Those are kind of cool. They were way cool. Um but you'll see communal webs of spiders that are big as your living room or something. And, it's, and there's tons of spiders in them, not just one or two, tons of them. It's crazy. It's a little spider village. Okay. Yeah. So uh, for that great, amazing experience filled with spiders, what kind of cost are you looking at for a trip like that? So I think uh, I was... 1800 um and that's food everything and then you got your plane ticket on that so yeah and is there i mean is there a reasonable airport to go into like lima peru or where do you gotta where do you have to go to get in there i remember i had four layovers oh <laughs> jesus or at least three i think i had three and then it was four different planes so yeah Damn. And is we, the last one like a single engine landing on the water or something? No, it was it was a decent sized plane. But yeah. I don't remember the exact cities. I remember we flew into flew out of LA, I think it was, to um then to Panama. And then to um, Peru, and then you take another flight in Peru to the other side. So, not the worst. I mean, it makes. I mean, you're going to the Amazon, so that yeah. makes sense. I 
mean, it was a long trip. It was, I think my way home was 26 hours or something with all that. And <laughs> it was, it was through the night and I don't sleep sitting up. So it was like, yeah, just be prepared to be, stay up for 24 hours. I don't know. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, how long? Hours? It yeah, because then you're like shorter than I don't know. It doesn't feel that far away for some reason. Until you're dealing with layovers. <laughs> Just thinking of where it is. Um, now, how long were you actually there in Peru? Um, two weeks. I oh, think... damn! So eighteen hundred dollars is nothing. And they feed you, and they feed you well. So, and if you guys ever want that contact information, I totally can save that but people are like very interested in the chat they're like asking like who did you go through like all they're very into this excursion so if you can get a commission uh, (laughs) there's some willing people my friend matt smith and mike pingleton are the guides for that trip and they're friends of mine and they put it together they do a trip every year down there and they're real super knowledgeable people about all the herbs and wildlife and yeah, they're always looking for people to go down there and, and they got it. It's a sweet setup and you sleep in your own little hut and they got mosquito nets around it. And then you got mosquito lined, uh, netting around your bed, your bed itself. So, you know, we didn't get, you don't get eaten up, you know, in the night, you know, it's, you're pretty well protected. Well, that's good Sounds like that. a good honeymoon. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> Never going to happen in a million years. <laughs> All right. It is. There it oh is. Okay. So total switching gears. I want to get back to kind of what he keeps. Okay. Um, and we referenced the chat a lot, but someone in the chat asked, what kind of caging do you use? We already kind of went oh, over I missed that. that. Okay. <laughs> but although he does have a lot of pits and stuff like that. I saw that you also have gray bands, which is something that we like to talk about a lot, but we don't keep. So could you explain a little bit of uh, how you got into gray bands and what you do as far as uh, gray bands go? That's gray bands are actually what got me. I mean, I was into snakes as a kid. I w- always was, but then when I got, I wanted to get back into it. And I want to say this was mid nineties mid early nineties. That was the the first snake I ever bought was a gray banded. Um, in about, I want to say 94 or so, um, maybe 93. Um, but yeah, I just, they're just, they're one of those snakes you look at and they're, they're one of the neatest snakes. I don't know. Um, I always liked color. So I was, I mean, I like pythons and boas too. I never, I've kept a couple, but, but I just, I'm really into colors and gray bands are, and then you start getting all the localities and color, the pattern morphs and yeah. So, um, I think I'm working with five localities right now. What's the base on the, the Christmas one? Christmas mountains. Christmas mountains. I got Christmas Mountains, 277s, River Roads, um, Junos. And then I have some generic, some long blotched ones and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I have seen those because they're kind of just kind of funky pattern gray bands, it looks like. Are those 
like two funky animals that come out with funky babies or how does that work <laughs> so my friend started a friend uh matt smith with high mountain reptiles which i don't think is anymore but he had a generic female blairs that had a really long neck blotch and so he just line bred it and next thing you know he's getting after a few generations he's getting animals with two-thirds of their body the neck blotch goes two-thirds adult you know two-thirds body and so he just kind of i didn't create it i kind of i got in on it early and so i'm and he's i don't think matt's into it anymore so yeah um now you're carrying the torch on that one yeah and they're they've been around for a while they're just not super common Uh, people love them it's just i don't there's not a lot out there still so do you feel like you could get a striped gray band? There, I know someone back in the day had striped, and they some people used to consider these striped, but this is a different. This the ones I'm working with are non-related to that bloodline, so there are striped ones. I don't know. I haven't seen them for a long time, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, do you have any interest in things like the leucistics or, uh, the, I believe they're ghosts. Yeah. I've had, I bought, I bought, I had a a annery and a, and a, um, and a ghost. Um, at one time I never, they never did anything for me. Um, but my only my interest in that would be I want to make an annery or a ghost long blotched. That's kind of I kind of want to try to do that this year coming up if I can find someone that who wants to go in on that project because I don't have anneries or ghosts right now. So I do have interest in that regard. Yeah, I think uh, first of all a Blair's phase gray band kink snake or even the wacky like black gap stuff is just as cool, if not a lot cooler than any morph that could ever exist. Yeah. And I also love the like het leucistics, which are like that half hypo type of look to them. I think even if you got that in something like that um long blotch snake, that would be amazing. Yeah. I I just keep envisioning and that's kind of how I do. I mean but a long blotched annery, you know, could you imagine a, a gray snake with a white blotch going two thirds down the body? That would be something different. Absolutely. Now those blotch, did those, uh, originate from any locality? Not that I'm aware of it just kind of came from a non-locality animal that had unusual large blotching and that's kind of, he just kind of ran with it that way. Now, do you see all your babies exhibit blotching like that? Or do you have a That's range of them? And do you have question. normal animals but coming out of it? But I want to ask also about him and the friend who kind of started with the neck blotching. Both of those. Like, was it consistently, like, more and more? Or is it kind of half-half? Yeah. Yeah. So, it is kind of a half-half. Like, I'll get some real... I'll You get a variety. You'll get... Even some normal looking ones will pop out of there. 
and then you'll get some mid mid ranges and then you'll get one or two extreme blotching i outcrossed i bred a normal blair's female to a long blotched male which isn't he's not even expressing a lot of long blotching but he's obviously got the genetics but yeah some of the babies came out with double sized neck blotching already it's and it's not like a recessive trait it's a line bread trait you just you it's not like you two two hats there there's not hats in long blotches they're just they're either from that bloodline or they're not i guess so i think a ball python breeder would just call it incomplete dominant and tag a two thousand dollar price tag on it yeah, I don't have those crazy terminology, those weird. <laughs> <laughs> I try to, I try to keep it simplified, um, and it still can be confusing, but in certain things. But I try to make morph names pretty easy. I don't want to get into the mocha latte, blah blah, blah <laughs> or whatever. I just want to call it what it is kind of a thing yeah i like yeah. descriptive long blotch like i like that things it's, like that I, yeah, it's I, what it I, is. Didn't, I didn't make up that name and I, I don't love the name and but i didn't make i didn't start the project so i'm you know in honor of the guy that did you just you keep the name um of stuff like that and you see it in i see it in bull snakes a lot um trumbauer hypos are very very versatile and color and appearance and all oh, this one's got more purple so i'm gonna call this a raspberry or something and it's just like where did this what where do these names come from so i i i just i just want to keep it simplified and i try to i can't what other people do i have no control over that um so as far as my part i try to make it pretty basic i think at this point there's some type of at least for people who like the history of our hobby and stuff like that like there's something um herp nerd romantic about like keeping the original people's name like the people like an applegate albino or your trumbauer animals like i think there's something to keeping that name on it because like those are the people who kind of started it for all of us yeah and i don't want to discredit a person that's done all that time and work and effort. Um, and I don't think anybody else should either, but, and, but there is, but there is a mystique to that name, like Applegate or Trumbauer. Yeah. You know, that's, you want to kind of keep that. But see then for new know. people, I'm like, what the heck is Applegate? That means nothing Who to me. Who cares? Just call it like everyone else If you told like me if it was else's. a long blotched whatever, I'm like, okay, I can picture that. You know, I mean, obviously I can Google Applegate immediately, but I don't know. I understand people who created or whatever deserve their, cre their credit, but I just wish everyone would make a name that is descriptive. Well, like, yeah, but you want to know, like, where that animal derives from originally. I think it's interesting to be able to keep that but i mean how often are those things pure in your opinion i think most people are pretty honest in there i mean i think it's it's okay to question people when a new morph comes out you know you 
but you've got to honor, you got to really honor if someone came up with this um, morph. You don't want to just say, oh, discredit and say, nope, I don't believe that could happen. I don't believe it came out of this animal. You got to take somebody's word for it until proven, until you have a reason not to, I guess. Um, that's just kind of the way I look at it. I think that there is, um, obviously I think it, I think in things like pits, luckily there is a barricade to entry as far as like, you gotta be a pretty decent snake person to, to handle or to just tolerate a lot of the pit species. Cause <laughs> I mean, to be honest, they are not, um, unlike other snakes, I mean, they will, defense posture they will huff they'll puff they will shit all over the place i, just, I wish yeah. i could share the passion that so you i guys think have for them I, I, I think it keeps like fly by nighters out of it you know people who are really passionate work with things that you're working with yeah and that's kind of, i've always just worked what i love the animals i work with are the animals i love and i don't have hognose i like hognose but i don't Oh, they're a big money seller. So, you know, it's not it's not me. I just work with what I want to work with. And, you know, I know hognose are a hot thing right now. Actually, bull snakes are probably one of the hottest things, if not the hottest snake right now, um, as far as popularity and people wanting the demand for them. Um, I kind of got sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. do you... Talking about the popularity of everything, do you feel now that kind of, I feel that ball pythons are kind of settling down from where they were red hot for like the last 10 They're years. still red hot. What are you talking but about? But I feel like it's kind of settling down. I feel like people are getting into more diverse species. Do you see an uptick in um, obviously things like bulls and the different pits um, among like the general population? Bull snakes are crazy right now. I... I produced probably 400 babies. I could have probably sold 2,000 babies this year. It's just, there's not enough right now. And it's just, I don't know why that is. Um, I, I think other countries, China and Korea and some of these other, are really taking interest in them too. Um, the gopher snakes are not as popular. They never have been, but but they're still... San Diego gopher snakes are really popular. Um, I'm not sure why the bull snakes. Maybe it's just their size. Um, but I just. But you said something I wanted to just talk about for a second was not all pits are aggressive. Not. I mean, I have. I have probably two percent of my collection are little buggers as adults. Um, I have. Can I guess you take I don't hours? Have... No, no, no. Can you take hours? <laughs> I don't have a <laughs> good sample hours? size because I just have three <laughs> Louisiana pines who are psychos. Hundred percent, oh. all psychos, all of the time. Like it's not like a <laughs> oh, just when they haven't eaten or oh, just when we bother them. No, no, no. Hundred percent, all the time, all three of them. Yeah. Well, I know, and I know certain bloodlines are. I my Kingsville red bull snakes are. They're boogers. I don't like to even handle them. But then I have 
some six foot bull snakes that are puppy dogs and they don't hiss. They don't, they're just gentle giants and they're just awesome. Most of my gopher snakes, most of my San Diego's are just, just like a corn snake, just cruising your hands, won't even hiss or nothing. Um, so mo I think, yeah, that's kind of a bad rap on them, their part. I mean, cause they can be pissy and annoying like that but most of them aren't and if they are they usually grow out of it so so if someone was looking i mean for an entryway into pits would you say that something like uh san diego would be the best start for them it's san diego or a sonoran i would sonorans are they're my favorite snake i just think their personalities are just they're awesome. Most of them are pretty docile. Um, they just eat. They're just, you know, they're easy to handle. So, plus, um, one thing I love about pits is I don't get musked. I don't get pooped on or musked. Speak for uh, yourself. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like I, we're living so, in different worlds. <laughs> yeah, I know. You might, I just, I've never, I've had one Louisiana pine in my day, but, um, and I'll tell you what, I did a lot of Cal Kings this year and Mexican blacks, and I have, it's been a long time since I've done a lot of numbers in those. And I'll tell you what, I love the sexing baby snakes sucks, <laughs> but gopher snakes and bull snakes, man, they don't musk, they don't poop on you. And there's dang king snakes, man. They poop everywhere. It's slimy and it's yeah. <laughs> they bite. They bite a lot more too. I I think, but it's just funny that so they're funny. so different. They're just they are way different. <laughs> Speaking of popularity, have you seen all the craziness popularity of uh, MBKs? Yeah, I've been part of that a little bit. <laughs> uh, I I I think I hatched out close to 60 this year whoa and, okay and, and i sold half of them already but it's it blows my mind crazy. well because we'll i refer heard... people people ask us all the time like where can i get them from and we'll have to... yeah it cracks me up because i in 2002 i was selling those in san diego at the san diego show for 20 bucks <laughs> <laughs> And now they're like 150 bucks or whatever. I don't... <laughs> we saw one on Facebook the other day. Someone was trying to sell one for what, 800? A female, yeah, for 800 dollars. Wow. So yeah. I heard it's a similar story, like you were saying with the bulls. I heard that Asia is actually buying up all the black snakes. So they're, I guess that's a reason why we're in such short supply over why here. Why do you think the popularity is so big? I do think that it is from China, Asia countries that, um, sorry, my dog's trying to get in here. Wait a minute real quick. Um, I do think that China and uh, some of those Asian countries do like black snakes. I, they, and they really like white snakes too. They like black and white. And that's the only thing I could think of. But I, I have a couple customers that are uh, from China and 
they're not really happy with how these prices are going skyrocket. <laughs> but they still will buy them. They're still buying them like crazy. So I don't, I don't know. Now, do you mind me asking how something like brokering to a customer in China works or how to get it through customs or what you do in order to ship to someone internationally? Um, for me, it's really simple um, because they, they'll they buy bulk, but they have brokers. They have 30 per, third-party people that do all that paperwork. I just get them to... California or Florida, wherever they're going to go out of whatever state. And then I'm done. I, they do all the pay, the, they do all the hard work and I'm sure they get paid pretty well for it. But yeah, it, I know it is. And I know it is a hard thing to get. Yeah. That's that license. so and, interesting. Yeah. Um, to get the, uh, a license, exportation license and, and then have to do all the paperwork. I know it's a pain in the butt. My friend did it and he just said he didn't want to do it the next year. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess there's always someone willing to do stuff like that if there's enough demand, but, um, cause you get, I don't know when you post a bunch of colubrid stuff, so like eventually someone on Facebook will message you in like broken English, trying to get you to send you them all your snakes to uh, china or whatever but i never thought that there was any possibility of me being able to do it so i never really right. take it up you know yeah so that's interesting we'll Maybe have it's to easier than, i don't know i feel like we gotta wait till our collection's a little bit bigger yeah like we don't have enough to wholesale so i guess let's talk about that because it seems like you're throwing numbers around when did that you are, start that are semi or well, internationally i want to know how big his collection was Okay, both First. those <laughs> um, What did you want to know first? Um, when did you start shipping internationally or shipping in bulk like that? And what are your current numbers, I guess? Um, about four years ago, I started shipping um, these it's funny because it's that I get I get new Chinese guys all the time left and right bull snakes bull snakes bull snakes and it's just like there's not enough I have a customer that I deal with and he's just I mean I can't I don't have you just can't they one guy will take everything so it's like um, yeah I think I probably ship probably 300 bull snakes to China a year. Go there, I guess. And how many are you producing? I produced at least 400 bull snakes this year. Holy, whoa. And what's your colony like adult-wise? And then how many babies altogether do you produce in a year? So I had, this year I had 40 females bull snakes that were breedable. Of course, you always have one that won't, you know, there's always a couple that don't go, and then there's a couple bad clutches. So, I mean, it's never, you know, it never, it's never perfect, but, yeah, I would, like I said, you could pro I could, I could probably produce 2,000 bull snakes and sell every one to China, but. Yeah, 
how they yeah. take it. Who has that kind of space? I don't. <laughs> so. And now that we've gone into this stuff, is this your full-time job or is this just kind of your side business? So this is my side business hobby. I work full-time. And wait, wait, wait. Didn't you just say you produce like 200 and some and this is your side? No, 400. 400 and some and this is your side business? I produced the 1,100 babies and snakes this year. Um <sighs> I am like, Do you right sleep? not very much. Like I'm exhausted right now, <laughs> but I'm, I'm really, I've had a lot of people, customers and people kind of probably, I, they haven't said anything to me, but I know they're probably irritated and I've turned a lot of people away and I'm over my head. I'm, <laughs> I'm overwhelmed this last month and it's almost to where I can, in a couple of weeks, things will be better. But it is really, I have never had a challenge like this until this year. Because I produced, I did a third more than I've ever done it, ever. More babies than, I, than I've ever done. And it's just proven to be really hard. <laughs> Space is one thing, but just the, it's hard to market animals when you got to take care of animals too. And taking care of them comes first. So... Mm -hmm. So when you, when we, when we both complain about the amount of babies we have, we're just going to say Jason's name because holy crap. Do you enlist any help during this time, especially peak baby season? I have, well, I have my son. He'll help me a little bit and stuff with cleaning occasionally if I can talk him into it. Um, I pretty much do most of it myself because i'd like things done myself uh, done certain ways but yeah i it's all it's been it's almost to the point where i need help i do have a partner on a hand i got a couple friends that i do projects with and one in particular he does a, we've been doing a little bit more and more so he helps out in little ways like that especially with food that's I'm the hardest yeah, I'm just thinking about, I feel like it would take three days alone to like feed them all and then go back and check to make sure they ate. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at today. <laughs> Got to make sure everybody ate today. So. Wow. so that's crazy. So what do you do? Um, are you one of those guys to where you have so many animals? I mean, do you mess with problem feeders? Do kink snakes eat when there's private or problem feeders, or how do you deal with things like that? Like those are the things that really eat up some time. Yeah. Um, so this year I did more king snakes and stuff than ever. Most pits, they're gonna eat. You don't have a lot of problem feeders, and usually they're quick fixes like live. I I kind of. So as far as getting stubborn feeders to eat, I kind of pride myself in having good techniques and kind of unorthodox techniques. Uh, I'll do some things that will trip people out a Elaborate, little bit. Elaborate, please. Um, but gray bands this year, I'm going to really market my gray bands. Um, I'm going to take, instead of just getting them out the door, I'm kind of going the opposite. I'm going to, I'm moving most, a lot of pits out the door and then I'm going to take my time and get a lot of these gray bands and their eye eating 
properly instead of just wholesale them out. So yeah, it's going to take some work. My biggest, a lot of, and I see this, a lot of newbies freak out. Like I'll sell, I always have, I've always had gray bands, but they start, how long has it been since it's okay. This gray band's six weeks old. It hasn't ate yet. Well, and you're trying to, you try to sell it and they're like, if the thing's going to die, no, this thing's fine. It's got a lot of body weight. The, the problem is I think a lot of people try to feed. Oh, it just shed. So I got to feed it the next day. Well, they're still living up. They're still living off of egg yolk. They're going to live off the egg yolk for a while, but people start trying to push food at them. I found it really, really good with their eye. Let them starve for a little while. Let them get hungry, get good and hungry, wait six weeks to even try. And I'll tell you what, I started doing that and right out of the gate, I'll get 60% of my prey bands or my Therai to eat the first try. Um, because I don't push, I'm not pushing food on them so immediately. Let them get hungry. And if you always got a pinky in there kicking around, then they get used to seeing that thing. And so I like, I like to get them really hungry, but, but that doesn't always work. So then I'll go into my little bag of tricks and I'll, a lot of them are lizard scenting. Um, I like to try, I feed frozen thawed to most of my stuff. So I'll try, I'll try a frozen thawed. Then I'll try a live. Then I usually go to washing pinkies because gray bands, a lot of these little king snakes are nocturnal. Um, they go off of smell more than sight. And so you changing their smell is going to get their interest. It's not a movement thing. Um, one of the cool, one of the tricks that works really good is the old uh laundry detergent the the box stuff that's grainy not the liquid stuff that one you know the the laundry yeah, soap the little balls the little, yeah. the little yeah so wash a wash a pinky with that scrub them and it might abrase them a little bit because it's so grainy but that thing that works great tricks and then rinse them really well that really works changing the smell of their food is that's what's going to get them to eat. And that laundry detergent will work really well. Um, even regular soaps, bar soaps, or dispenser soaps. I'll do weird things like, this is what I was getting to, like unorthodox. I'll wash a pinky and I'll just, I'll take them out in the front yard and dust them with some dirt out of the, the garden. And you'll, you won't believe how often that works. Minerals, it's I so guess. weird <laughs> making it smell like something smell it's different. not. It's you know, this, it's weird. Smell, this smell will change it. It'll change their behavior. I guess. See, it. and I've done. I usually use Dawn dish soap, and also I've heard of people boiling them, and I've done that. And I feel like boiling them is just kind of changing the scent as well because it smells like like ramen noodles, right? No, do not equate those two things. I love ramen noodles, and I do not love the smell of boiled pinkies. Please don't put. But that they, but they don't smell mind. like pinkies it anymore. 
terrible, but yeah. It smells interesting. Yeah. yeah. But it's weird that we're trying to make it not smell like the thing that they are used to. Well, eating. maybe those you know urate, I mean? like they're not used to animals that are filled with urates because when they die, they go to the bathroom and they're all like very, very maybe stinky, I feel. Why. But it's like they're not used to laundry detergent or dish soap in the wild. But for some reason that works. Like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me why stuff like that works. But when you have to resort to lizards, what's your go-to for scenting? I'll just get a usually side blotch lizards or something. Just and are those native to Utah? The, yeah, just whatever's native here. Like uh, any of these uh, spinies, you know, all these desert lizards, you know, from Texas to, well, I know anoles even work. I usually just use the desert lizards because they're desert snakes for the most part. Um, I'll and then I'll I usually will keep um, the lizards for a couple weeks, uh, and then just live scent off of there. But then after the after the I did this. This is funny because this worked uh, about five months ago. I had so I'll keep those lizards in some dirt and stuff and the droppings, the lizard droppings. After those lizards are gone, I'll keep that dirt and I'll keep it in a deli cup. And I've had, I have some dirt with some lizard droppings in it and it's like six years old. And I, I, for whatever reason, I said, what the heck I'll try it. And it worked the other day. (laughs) (laughs) It still worked after six years. It was funny. You're right. You, these are a little unorthodox. Uh... These are yeah. These are things that I legit because we ask a lot of people this stuff, especially you know we had gray band people in the past, and these are new. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I thought we heard it all, but this, okay. My friend had a, a a good one too. He um a good trick. He would keep the snake without water, the the baby snake without water for a week or more and then he'd put a pinky in the cage with it and put a couple drops of water on it so it would go start drinking the water off of it and then hey this is tastes kind of good and then he'd eat the pinky so there's yeah there's a few there's another one too so. well i am hand assist feeding uh mouse tails to approximately 18 babies right now so um i need all the help i can get so I will definitely be trying some of those. Yeah, try that laundry detergent one. <laughs> I don't know why that works so well. It does. It's that, for whatever reason, that kind of soap. Something in the chemicals in it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I don't, who cares? <laughs> yeah, my friend taught me that one. So I can't claim that one, but. Whatever works. I mean, yeah. didn't you say like our one, just the fire has like no will to live? At this point, he doesn't even want to be a cis fed. He'll puke up anything. He doesn't like to swallow things, uh, but he's cool looking, so I got to keep on no, trying. No, we want to keep him alive. He looks like dog shit now, though. He's starting to go downhill, but hopefully, but that's the one that will won't even be a cis fed. It's like you're nothing. But how many? I know you have some other colubrids kicking around. So what else do you have besides Theri, gray bands, and uh, obviously all the pits? Um. I, I want to get into some of these Asian rats. I don't have any, um, 
but my where I'm at right now, because I, I rent a little space at a warehouse, it's a little too hot for them. I don't think they would do well in the summertime. Um, but I do have some gray rats. Um, I have some Everglade rats. Um, some, I got some Pleblins, Cinnalolans. Um, Cal Kings, of course. Uh, yeah. Do you happen to have, uh, do you have the white oak gray rats? I have, um, I got them from Tony D. They're uh, lemon rats. Oh, and I've seen those. Those are awesome. Yeah. I just seen those and I had to have those when I seen those a couple of years ago. He also has the uh, hypo bairds. Yeah, those are awesome. I've had those in the past and those are cool. So why haven't you gotten into, yeah, why don't you have things like Bears Rats or Baja Rats and then also like the Western Greens and stuff like that? All that, we, I feel like that would be something you'd be into. I Yeah, so like when you're out field herping, that's like number one target stuff. But, but those green rats, they're a little bit, they're, you know, they're, they can be problematic a little bit. You might have to, if you don't feel comfortable hitting your animal with flagell once in a while, that kind of just stuff naturally happens. I've never had Baja rats, so I've heard they're even harder than greens. Um, Wait, do they just have low immune systems, or what's the deal? I'm not exactly sure. I don't know exactly why. I just... Yeah, I mean, I do like all that stuff. It's just hard to have everything. I have I've have I tried I mean I specialize in the gophers and bulls so and I I just with all the color morphs and stuff it's just like it's hard it's hard to have everything yeah I mean I always try to find out why things that are really cool like western uh, green rat snakes or whatever I try to find out why a lot of people aren't working with them and there's usually a reason like that yeah. So that's interesting because I've been trying to get someone on the show to talk about those, but really there's, I mean, there's not many. Yeah. And uh, just from what I, my understanding is if you're going to keep green, green rats, you're going to, you're going to be, you better be good at doing some meds on them because I, most, most of those guys tell me that you're going to have to hit them up with some flagell or something at least once a year for whatever reason. I don't, know why those reasons and that's just what i've heard secondhand so so you think it's prone to things like respiratories it seemed more like bacterial stuff digestive problems they'll start pooping funny just you know out of the blue so well, but that it turns me off of that huh yeah <laughs> But it, I mean, that happens. I have a, you know, when you have a large collection, you're gonna, you gotta learn how to treat your animals. You gotta, you basically become a hot vet by hobby. <laughs> you gotta know how to, it just happens. I mean, even if you're clean, clean, clean rodents, it just, I don't know why. It just happens. I'll get a sick snake here and there, and you just gotta know how to treat them. Yeah, so how did, or someone with a, a big collection, I mean, what do you do to 
stop the spread of sickness. Cause obviously if you have a hundred people in a room, someone's going to catch the flu at some point or something like that. You know, the same thing with snakes. How do you kind of nip that before it spreads to a bunch of other snakes? So if I have something that's like, and I have one now and it's, it's when I go clean cages, it's going to be the last snake I clean the last cage I clean. Um, that's kind of how I go about it. I'll treat them and then I'll kind of isolate them and then make sure that they're, I'm not handling stuff after I handle those snakes. So. Now, do you have things like, I don't know how prone um, some of the pits are to this, but I mean, some reproductive issues in females, whether it be egg binding or like, uh, what do you call that? Like uh, prolapsed oviducts or anything like that? I'll get an egg binding a couple a year, usually, just because it's such a, my collection's all on the larger side. Um, I started, I, I, I'll do, uh, gosh, now I'm drawing a blank on that name. Uh, but anyways, um, I'll just, I'll get, I'll suck, suck the yolk out of the egg, the binding egg. So you do that, you go through Aspir the, the cloaca. Aspirate was the word I was looking for. With a syringe and you suck out the fluid yeah. out of the egg? Yeah, it's not a fun thing to do by any means, but it's either that or an animal dying. Yeah, that's something that I've heard of people doing, but luckily, I guess I've never had to do it. Although I've had the female, the whole oviduct comes out with the eggs, so that's a whole other thing. But yeah, I haven't had that luckily. So, but yeah, I'll get an egg binding once or twice a year. It seems like it'll happen. I mean, in the percentage of all the ones you have, that's like nothing. That's very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's never fun, but. It's kind of part of part of the hobby, and I don't know what it. There's a lot of there's a lot of guessing, I guess. I don't know if there's a lot of research done on why that happens, but I it just happens. I don't know why. I feel like we like to try to find causes of things, and we there's some weird. I wish I could think of one like weird things in the hobby that we think, uh, you know, don't handle something 24 hours after feeding or don't do this don't do that that are very kind of what aren't that important once you get a obviously a collection so large there's times where you need to take pictures of babies right after they ate or something like that because just like you got to take pictures of 50 babies you're not going to wait 48 right. hours you're going to do it when you have the time to do so and yeah um, so I feel like there's a lot of silly things that we feel like matter, but maybe don't so much. Um, do you feel like I have this thing about not making my snakes fat? And I feel like that <laughs> helps me like not have um, issues as far as reproduction. But do you have any weird hunches like that? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, you know, I believe kind of that thing. I don't. You don't see fat snakes in the wild, you know. You don't see obese snakes in the wild. They're usually pretty healthy, or or maybe sick or something. But but um, yeah, I like to keep I like to keep a natural 
body weight on a snake. I don't push them. I don't power feed. Uh, I like to keep my snakes. I don't know what everybody does. My, 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 my ideal temperature for a room is 77, 78. Um, I know a lot of people like, oh, 82. Um, um, yeah, I, there's little things, I guess. Do you keep ambient or are you keeping, uh, that ambient 78 with a hotspot or is that just your straight up ambient? So the way I'm set up now is I, I'm on ambient in the summer. I have an air conditioner cause it gets hot. Um, but it's on a timer. My, my room will fluctuate a good 10 degrees in the, in a day. I mean, 85 is hot, but I'll go from 75 to 85 in a day. I don't, I will keep my snakes with on their heat tape. I'll put heat tape on in the spring and maybe in the fall when the temperatures are cooler and I'm not running air. And so, yeah, there's some days you'll walk in this early spring and you'll walk in that room and it's 70 degrees, but then they got their hot spot, so they're fine. Um, and it's worked great. Um, hotter temperatures, I get regurges. Um, if it gets too hot. Um, and for that reason, I don't use an incubator either. I, and that's, there's one of those rumors. Do not let your eggs fluctuate two degrees within an hour or else they're dead. <laughs> yeah. I, my eggs fluctuate temperatures, but I keep them at the room temperature. I do keep them in a cooler so that it's not the fluctuation of temperature is gra more gradual, but yeah, I don't use an incubator for say. And then fluctuations, um, I guess another thing would be brumations. So do you allow subtle fluctuations there or are you, uh, it better be 50 degrees or something? Oh, I, my room fluctuates. Um, he'll go, he'll go from 50 degrees to 65 in the winter. Now, are you at like elevation in Utah? So you get really cool winters. Yeah, it's like our our the valley's at forty two hundred feet, and so when you're at least here in Utah, and I we don't have a lot of humidity either, so it's like when the sun goes down, it it cools off. It cools off fast. It's not like back east or Texas where the sun goes down and it will slowly cool down it no it drops pretty quick so especially in the winter um so yeah i deal with i'm fighting temperatures <laughs> from both directions depending on what time of year it is yeah i feel like everyone has a, a little bit of that but um, we kind of we went backwards. What I should have done is brumation, and then that. Because now I want to ask you, uh, as far as spring, when you start ramping them up to breed, I mean, how much are you? How much food are you hitting them with? Sorry, hang on. I'm gonna close this door. No, you're good. Can you say that question one more time? Yeah. So when this when you get them out of brumation and spring starts, and you're trying to prep your females, how much food are you hitting them with? I will hit the females very strong once a week. Not like this snake's getting two giant rats or whatever, but they'll get a good, they'll get a nice healthy meal once a week. 
But a, a big, nice adult female bull, will she take down like a large rat or something like a medium rat? Medium to large, yeah. So, I mean, that's a hardy, because I would do it more often for my corn snakes, but I usually feed smaller meals. So, I guess that makes yeah. sense. I'm, and I, I, it just depends if I have large prey items or if I don't, then it just kind of depends on the situation. But I'm sure also you're dealing with much different supply issues and cost issues when it comes to feeding. Yeah. Um, luckily my, one of my partner and I have a friend that's a partner on, we're partners on a, I had quite a few snakes and his job, he breeds rodents. So I got a connection. <laughs> and so he, he will help out quite a bit with food and um, I still buy rodents and it's still a large bill, but, um, but he helps out that way quite a bit. Um, yeah. That's a one of the, that, that is a big challenge because rodent supplies are it's a high demand i mean there's a lot of times where you can't get rodents i'm sure for yeah. many if there's one thing there's not a surplus of in this industry and like i don't know if people realize how important that is as far as i mean we need people who are breeding rodents and there's never too many there's never surplus amounts of rodents or anything like that or there's never shortage of snake breeders who would trade you snakes for rodents if you breed rodents like that's probably a good opportunity for someone who's starting out and rodents are obviously much cheaper than buying that two twenty five hundred dollar ball python in order to make you relevant there i mean so you could start a rat colony and trade a bunch of rats for those expensive ball pythons and probably make out like a bandit in comparison to dropping cash on snakes. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it goes, that can go well for both sides of it, you know, both parties. As long as you don't mind uh, ammonia and cleaning up after rodents, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I used to breed my old rodents and I haven't for like 12, 13 years. I used to have a hundred breeder rats and 500 breeder mice. And it was awesome because my snakes were perfectly fed at all times. But I'll tell you what, I just didn't have a lot of free time. That, that was a lot more work than the snakes were. Yeah. So I, I kind of, I enjoy my freedom a little bit more. I mean, I'm still busy, but it could be worse. Now, was there ever a point where you wanted to go full-time or like, do you still kind of dream to, to go full-time? Well, it's funny that you say that. I mean, I do, I would love to. I, the reality of it, who knows how long this market's going to last. I mean, the government can shut us down tomorrow, I guess. But um, I, I really do want to, do this full time. And I had to have a talk. My boss called me cause I've been missing a lot of times cause it's been so chaotic. And he did call me last week and said, what is your deal? <laughs> you know, you need to put in some hours. And I'm like, well, what about full time? What if I went part time and well, we'll take your benefits away because we can't, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, I'd love to do it full, do snakes full time, but 
I don't know how people do it. I mean, I guess, I guess if you went big time, I've ramped up my, I have ramped up my collection quite a bit because the demand is so high right now. And it's like, well, you might as well ride it out if you're doing it. And I'm paying, you know, I'm paying rent for a place and I'm paying food for food. And so I have ramped it up, but yeah, I mean, ideally I kind of wanted to go part-time doing what I do and then kind of balance it out that way. But yeah, I just, the whole thing of how long this hobby and snake demand is going to last, you know, that kind of worries me. Well, I'd say you're in a better, you're in a better place than say a retic breeder right now or something. Yeah. I mean, but you know, two years from now, it could just tank, you know, I don't know. Nobody knows, I guess, but yeah. So that's kind of what makes me nervous. I mean, things are great now, but. I mean, yeah, we can see there are certain things like ball python breeders who had 10 to 15 amazing years. And now you're seeing them slowly fade into the ether somewhere. And like, if you don't pivot with what the market is interested interested in, in, especially with someone like, like I like a certain thing, you like a certain thing. And then it's like, all of a sudden you can't sell bull snakes and gopher snakes. So now the new hot thing is crested geckos. Are you willing to now be the crested gecko guy? You know, so I could understand where you're coming from with the market. Oh, did he mute himself? Sorry, I had a phone call came in. Um, I don't, that's not me. I'm not gonna, I just, I'm gonna work with what I like to do. And that's what I'm always gonna do. I'm, I'm not gonna be like, I see it with, I can see it with the ball python people that a lot of them turn to hognose now. Now they're hognose guys. And and I like hognose and I like ball pythons. I'm not gonna work with those animals because it's not my passion. Um, I just kind of do what I want to do, what I like to do. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, I mean, it's kind of cool because it, right now it's working out really great for me, but, <laughs> um, but it's not about it. You know, I've been doing this since the mid early nineties and it's still a demand and I keep, I've just been doing what I want to do. So I'm not going to change for that. I mean, I, I would like, I'd like to do some lizards and some frogs and stuff, but man, those lizards and frogs are a lot more time consuming and I'm already stretched. So I don't see that happening, but. But if I did, it would be because I like those animals. It's not because it's a, I mean, even the lizards I like, I mean, it's a null. I like the null lizards and there's, they're $3 lizards. Yeah. You know, so. You just got to produce a hundred thousand of them for $3 a piece. Yeah. I just, yeah. I'd rather just check them out in the wild. You know, that was great in Peru. Got to check out some new ones. But yeah. That's, I just do what I do what I like to do. That's kind of what I've been doing. So, Absolutely. So I want to thank you so much for taking your time out and being on the show. And um, 
Do we have to ask the question? Yeah. He's going to be mad at us if we don't. Everyone's <laughs> going to be mad at us if we don't ask the last question, which apparently is now our last question, which has zero things to do with reptiles, so don't be worried but about it. One of our friends made us start asking this, and now it's our thing. What is your favorite pizza topping? Pizza topping? Wow. And pizza is my favorite food, and I don't really get to eat it very often, but... I'm just going to roll with right now because it sounds so good. Pepperoni. Straight pepperoni. Thank you. I think that's a great way to go. All right. Yeah. We can all be happy with Wait, that. Wait, but now I got to ask, why don't you get to eat pizza very often? <laughs> oh, I'm just on some little health kick. I just I have like, I eat. some stuff aren't, some foods aren't healthy for you. And <laughs> pizza is really, <laughs> it's really not good for you. Uh, it's got like, I don't know. There's not a lot of nutritional value. <laughs> empty they call it empty carbs. So there's um, some calcium in that cheese. I'm I'm and lactose intolerant. And still eat it. My favorite food, and I don't get to have it so very often. But once a week, I'll I'll pig out on something like that. But not too often. I understand. We shouldn't, but it's just so good. Who doesn't love pizza? Yeah. Oh, it's delicious. So, if there's anyone who wants to get in touch with you, how could they do so? Um, Facebook's probably the most convenient. Um, or, I, you know, I don't have my website anymore. Um, Facebook's kind of made that irrelevant a little bit. Um, so, yeah, Facebook or email. So, Jason Nelson's your Facebook and Envy Reptiles, correct? Yeah, yeah. Awesome, perfect. Easy enough. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on and everything. Yeah, thank you. I had a good time. Good luck with, I mean, over a thousand babies. That just <laughs> blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, they're getting, they're finding homes as we speak, so well, it'll be good. good. <laughs> um, and to everyone who's listening, if you want to reach out to us or talk to us, obviously, Port City Pythons on Facebook instagram our website portcitypythons.com portcityballpythons.com stop ball pythons ball pythons um and now you messed me up the portcitypythons at gmail.com if you want to email us i don't think anyone's ever emailed us so it'd be cool if someone just emailed us oh yeah but not really from the show i mean but it's not necessary when you can message (laughs) when you can just message us on instagram or facebook or like even your numbers somewhere and people i prefer instagram Okay, That'd there you excellent. go. This is a great outro. Oh, sorry. Um, thank you guys up. for listening. Buy our snakes. <laughs> um, and Do thanks, Jason, want. again. Bye, everybody. Later, guys. Thank you.